Oh, it's a good day to be in church. Anybody thankful for the warming up weather and the sunshine? Hallelujah. Amen. All right. Woo. I am really excited about what I have to share with you this morning. And I know that might be normal. Um, Honestly, it's not always normal. Sometimes I'm a little more nervous than anything, but I am excited. Uh, I've been looking forward to what we are starting this morning since uh, before uh, last year. So for the last six or seven months, I've been praying into this, thinking about this, studying for this, praying for you, really excited for what God has for us over the next few weeks. Um, and with that much time to be getting excited about it, warning, I got a lot to share today. And uh, I was going to be sorry about that, but then I realized I'm not. Uh, it just was like, all you got to do is turn on any news website, any social media platform, and we got enough junk getting thrown at us. And I remembered, oh, wait, we are talking about the Bible after all. Maybe we should take our time. Maybe we should get absolutely flooded with the word of God, and that might be good for our souls and our minds and our lives. And so I'm going to do my best this morning, and I am really excited. I just want to say being at church this morning. It's the right decision. Good job. Way to go. So we're going to get right into it this morning. We've got a new series coming for you. We're starting today simply called Letters from Jesus. Letters from Jesus. So we're going to be in this for the next eight weeks, and um, it's really sweet. So Song of Solomon starts like this. Let me kiss. Let him kiss me with... I'm just kidding. We're not doing that. We're not going to be in Song of Solomon's for the next eight weeks. Don't worry. But we are going to be in the book of Revelation for the next eight weeks. The second book you don't want to talk about in church. So go ahead and open to Revelation chapter 1. And everybody breathe a sigh of relief, sort of. Song of Solomon, uh, it's, it's a letter. It's, it's got a little bit of a different vibe than Revelation does, though. We're going we're gonna to go after Revelation. Um, it would be weird if we did that. So we're going to be weird and do Revelation instead. Okay, go to Revelation chapter 1. You can send an email to Jordan if you really want a series on Song of Solomon. He'd love to preach an eight-week series on that, maybe next. <laughs> so we spent our first quarter of the year, if you were with us, uh, doing a big uh, course or a series called Biblical Formation. We were in Genesis 1 through 3 for, what was that, 12, 14 weeks, something like that. So for the next eight weeks, we're just going to skip to the end, go from Gen Genesis 1 through 3 to the next eight weeks of Revelation 1 through 3. So... Um, we're calling it Letters from Jesus because in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, we get seven letters from Jesus to his church, which is very cool, and I cannot wait for these next seven weeks. But before we get into the seven letters, we, we can't talk about Revelation chapters 2 or 3 or really anything with, in Revelation without first talking about Revelation chapter 1. Maybe it's there for a reason. So we're going to spend this week in Revelation chapter 1 before we get to 2 and 3 over the, the next following weeks. Um, Father Steve's going to be preaching here in a couple weeks. He's got a few pieces of this series, so that'll be good. This book that we're jumping into, the book of Revelation, um, it's got a little bit of a rough reputation, does it not? It's a little bit of a rough reputation, but I am praying that... As we come uh, this morning and over these next few weeks, that we might come to uh, the Revelation, we might come to the Bible, not just now, but always, we would come open, we would come with expectation, and that we would, we would let the Bible speak for itself. We would let we would Re Revelation speak to us as God intends for it to speak to us. Uh, this first chapter that we are going to be spending our time in this morning, um, it is really important that we spend our time here because it gives us the framework 
to help us understand everything that comes after this. So that's, where we're, that's what we're going for this morning is, is, is that God is gracious enough in Revelation chapter one to explain to us what this is, how we should read it, how to understand it. So we're gonna just go to that. Instead of talking about my ideas or somebody else's theories about how Revelation pieces together and all of that, we're gonna let God tell us. And just start right there at the beginning. So for this morning, we're gonna have two main sections of chapter one. We're gonna go through the whole chapter, which is ambitious, but... Here we are. Two, two sections that we're going to be talking about this morning. Uh, the first is we're going to look at verses 1 through 8 as kind of one chunk, and then 9 through 20 as part 2. So get your notes ready. Um, I hope you came hungry for a feast on the Word of God this morning, uh, because here it comes, and you can anticipate leftovers that you're going to need to come back a few times this week and revisit. So I hope you have some notes for this week. We're going to start at the very beginning, Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. If you're there, say, I'm there. The revelation of Jesus Christ. Time out. We're already about to make some huge ground in understanding Revelation, what this is, what this is all about, and how we ought to read it. I mentioned biblical formation already, and I hope that one of the things that you can remember from our time doing our biblical formation series is that um, sometimes we need to pay attention to what the Bible doesn't say, just like we need to pay attention to what it does say. What these first five words, what, what this doesn't say is that what we're about to read is the revelation of the end of the world. It doesn't say the revelation of what current news stories mean prophetically and politically. It doesn't say the revelation of which world leader is the Antichrist. It doesn't say the revelation of whether or not you should get the COVID vaccine. It does say the revelation of Jesus Christ. Right here, the first five words, first five words of this rough reputation. We are told that the book of Revelation is about Jesus. This is about Jesus. Now stick with me because I need to show you something that um, is going to help straighten out some of the confusion because these first five words, this is a game changer right here. The book of Revelation is about Jesus. Now, let's talk about why this has gotten so confusing. The the first five words, the revelation of Jesus Christ. These first three words, the revelation of, is a translation of a Greek word, and the Greek word is, I probably won't pronounce it right, but it's apocalypsis, okay? So this is where you get out your school notes. You're gonna wanna write some of this stuff down. It is a translation of the Greek word apocalypsis. That's the first Greek word in Revelation, As we've talked about this before, there's a lot of different types of literature inside the Bible. It's not all written exactly the same, which is one of the reasons why it's so beautiful and deep and just so awesome. And one of the types of literature that we'll find in the Bible is called apocalyptic literature. Um, And it's important to know the type of literature that you're reading because the type of literature you're reading impacts how you read whatever it is that you're reading, right? You read a a cookbook different than you read a sci-fi novel. 
So it's important to know what this is and what type of literature we're talking about. So Revelation is one of the parts of the Bible that is called apocalyptic literature. So um, as I'm going to show you here, and as you can see, the Greek word apocalypsis, it's, it's translated the revelation of because that's what it means. What it means is, if you look up the definition, apocalypsis means laying bare, making naked, a disclosure, a disclosure of truth or instruction. It means an appearance or a manifestation. And this gets confusing because we think of the English word apocalypse, which has a very different meaning. We think apocalyptic and we think the English word, the complete and final destruction of the world. An event involving destruction or damage on an awesome, let's throw in the word cataclysmic. Who knows what that means, but it sounds apocalyptic. Can you see why this has gotten so confusing? Because the book of Revelation is apocalyptic literature, but it's apocalyptic in the Greek sense of the word, not the English sense of the word. It is apocalyptic in that it is a revelation. It is an appearing. It is a manifestation. It is an instruction. That is what this book is primarily about, and that is how we are supposed to read it. Revelation is apocalyptic because it is a revelation of Jesus, which means as we start this journey in Revelation, we are reading it to see Jesus. We are reading it to hear Jesus. We read it to know Jesus. We read it to experience Jesus. We read it to follow Jesus. We read it so that we can submit to Jesus. That's what this is all about. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show, or which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. I want to be building as we go through this first section, defining what revelation is. First, we talked about that revelation is about Jesus. Right here also in verse one, we learn that revelation is to his servants. Who is this book written to? It is written to his servants. When we get confused about what revelation is about, it often leads to confusion about who the book of Revelation is to. But right here we're told that the book of Revelation is about Jesus, and it tells us right here it is to his servants. It doesn't say that the book of Revelation is specifically to super prophetic people who have insights you don't. It doesn't say the book of Revelation is reserved for some unknown generation that will, this will only be relevant to seven years before Jesus returns, whenever that might be. It doesn't say that this is parsed into parts so that it only applies to some people and some times of some time of history, and you hopefully can guess and pick out which one applies to who, when, and hopefully some of it applies to you. It says it is for his servants. This book is about Jesus and it is written to you, it is written to me, and to anyone else that is or has been or ever will be a servant of Jesus Christ. That should have been way more encouraging than it felt in the room. But I want you to hear me, friends. 
Revelation is both relevant to you and relevant to me, and it is also essential for you and essential for me. And the reason I know that is because it's in the Bible. (laughs) See, after the four Gospels in the New Testament, we get the four Gospels, which are the story of Jesus' life. After that, everything in the New Testament is a collection of letters written by first century AD apostolic church fathers who were instructing first century communities of Jesus followers on how do you do this? How do you do this? How do we now faithfully follow this man, Jesus? He has come, he has lived, he has died, he has resurrected, now he has ascended, he has poured out his spirit. How do we do this? How do we do this? That's what the New Testament is, and that's exactly what Revelation is too. God is speaking to his people. That's you and that's me. He's speaking to his servants to show them who he is and to show them how to live through all that they're currently going through in their lives and all that they could ever go through in their lives. See, verse three tells us, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it for the time is near. This verse is important. It tells us that Revelation lines up with what all the other letters in the New Testament are about. It's a pastoral letter, and it's also a prophetic letter. It's pastoral because it's instructing us how to follow Jesus. It's about him. It's to us to help us follow him. And if that's not the definition of pastoral, I'm not sure what I'm doing up here. And it leads, it's pastoral because it instructs in following Jesus. And and this verse tells us that that it will lead to God's blessing. It leads to God's blessing for those who read it, for those who keep it, for those who seek understanding of it, for those who follow it. It's, It's pastoral and it's also prophetic. Obviously, it says it right here, which that word can sure make some things confusing too. First, we got apocalypsis and apocalypse and that can kind of get confusing. But then we start talking about this P word. Prophetic. So how do we understand what prophetic means? Well, we need to understand what prophetic means in the Bible by the same way we understand what just about anything in the Bible means, and that's by letting the Bible tell us what the Bible means. So when you look at the whole of Scripture, you'll see that when this says that this is prophetic, it is prophetic, but it's not prophetic in the sense that it's primarily telling the future. Because that's really not what the core of biblical prophecy is. There's some of that that happens, but the core of prophecy is not just telling the future. So this is prophetic in the sense that most prophecy in the Bible is prophetic, which is that it is prophetic in that God is calling his people to him. That's what prophetic means. If you read through the prophets of the Old Testament, there's, Testament, there's some future telling in there, but the, but the main core of what they're doing is they're acting as God's mouthpiece to call his people back to him. So when the Bible is prophetic, what prophetic means it, it is, is that it is God calling his people back to him. And in that way, Revelation is certainly prophetic 
That is what God is doing in Revelation. He is calling his people back to him. He is calling his people to rise up in faithfulness, in purity, in obedience, in endurance, in perseverance, in focus, in clarity. He's calling his people to him. And he promises, as these verse say, if you will come to me, you will be blessed. You will walk in the blessing for those who listen to his voice. And there will be judgment for those who stand against his voice. This is not unique to the book of Revelation at all. This is just standard Bible prophecy. So Revelation is just like other New Testament letters in that it is relevant and essential for the whole church through all of time. Where Revelation differs from the New Testament and the letters, the other letters in the New Testament is that all of the other letters of the New Testament were written by God breathing on individuals and, and inspiring them to write the words he wanted them to write by the Holy Spirit. That's how the rest of the New Testament was written. But in Revelation, Jesus actually shows up and he just dictates to John what he wants him to write. I'll take it. So the book of Revelation, it is about Jesus and it is to his servants. We continue in verse, verses four through five. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of kings on earth. And this is where you say, see, Pastor Andrew, this is what I'm talking about. You're making it sound like it's so simple, but did you read that? You said it was for everyone, and now it's to seven churches in Asia. You said this wasn't confusing, and now we have seven spirits of God. I thought there was one. <laughs> Revelation gets really confusing when we read it wrong, just like most things. By reading it wrong, I mean, I mean two things. Number one, we read it wrong when we read pieces of it in isolation from the whole. This is one cohesive letter, just like all the other letters in the New Testament. This is one cohesive letter, so trying to understand it in isolated parts is not going to be helpful, right? It's like that last conversation you had with any other human you pick one sentence out and it's kind of hard to know what we were talking about. But let's listen to the whole thing. The second thing I mean in reading it wrong is that we read it wrong when we read it through the lens of current or future events. The book of Revelation is 404 verses long and it has over 500 allusions to the Old Testament. If you're doing the math, that is a lot. So the pathway to gaining understanding of Revelation and what God is speaking to us through the book of Revelation is not by using your imagination about the future. It's not by reading the news. It's by reading the Old Testament. That's just good Bible study. 
So for example, we, we've talked about seven. Seven, we got seven churches. In Asia, we got seven spirits. Seven, as you look through the Old Testament, seven is a number that God consistently uses to demonstrate his completeness. So you look at the seven days of creation. There's lots of examples of this. And so we can begin to understand right here in these first few verses, we be, can begin to understand that these letters that we are reading to these seven churches are just like all the other letters of the New Testament that were written to specific churches. They are both written specifically to these places and these people for this time, but because it is alive by the Holy Spirit, it is true for us today. Also, every letter that we're about to read, we know it's not just for this one church and this one time because all seven of them end with the phrase, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He said, hey, write it to this one, but it's for everybody. This is also helpful as we look back at the Old Testament and the understanding we get of the number of seven to help us understand these seven spirits that sound very confusing. That this is a reference to the fullness of the Holy Spirit, the, very, the fullness of the Spirit of God. And we know that not just because we can infer that from number seven, but I, and I don't have time to go through all of these things, but there's many passages in the Old Testament that specifically also refer to the seven spirits of God, referencing the seven spirits of God as the one Holy Spirit. Think the Trinity is God, one but three, Holy Spirit. You see what I'm saying? It's complex, yes, but it's not random. So listen to me, follow me here. The book of Revelation is about Jesus it is to his servants, and it is understood through the Old Testament. It is understood through the Old Testament. Let's continue. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. Side note. That's him now. He's in charge of all the kings on earth now. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds. And every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him, even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Next, what we learn about the book of Revelation is that the book of Revelation is from God. It is about Jesus. It is to you and me, it is understood through the Old Testament and it is from God himself. Verse one tells us the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to his servants. Verses four and five, as we read, grace and peace to you from the Father, him who is and who was and who is to come, from the Spirit from the seven spirits who are before his throne, from the Son, from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of kings on earth. This is from God, which means it's worth spending our time here. It is from God, and these verses also make, us, make it really clear that the book of Revelation is for his glory. 
It is for his glory. Why, why is revelation the way that it is? For the glory of God. Why is there some things in here that we don't understand for the glory of God? Why is there some things in here that we need to talk about and digest and chew on and get shaped by for the glory of God? That's why. That's why we need to read this. It is for the glory of God. Verses five and six says, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. It is to him that this is, that all of this is. See, we need to be very clear about something. The target audience of church is Jesus Christ. You, you've heard me talk about this before. We talk about this a lot around here. We've said that from the beginning that, you know, people were asking me when I, when I left here to start the church, which is five week, five years this week, we moved here. Who's the target audience of your church? Who are you going for? He said, Jesus. He's the target audience. The church exists. This church exists for Jesus. The target audience of Antioch Indy is Jesus. Not you, not me, not any other person or group of people. And that may sound a little bit harsh, but it's good to be honest because it's really good news. It's actually best this way. See, because we cannot be a church that is about Jesus and not be about people. But it is scary how easy it is to get all about people and completely forget about Jesus. See, you are great and I love you and I'm glad that you're here, but we are not here primarily for you. And I'm doing my best. I'm working really hard to be a good pastor and, and preach the word and do my best. But we are not here primarily to hear from me. We are here for Jesus. All of this, all of this, all of this, all of, all of this all of what church is, all of the church as a whole, all of what we are as a church specifically, each and every one of our lives exists unto him. All of this is unto him. Everything is to him, for him, unto him, aimed at him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood, who for in exchange for my sin and your sin and our rebellion, exchanged that and made you and me a kingdom transformed us to now be priests to his God and Father. Oh, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I just wish we could give glory to God in church. I wish we could just say, Jesus, this is all about you. It's for him. The book of Revelation is about Jesus. It's to his servants. It's understood through the Old Testament. It's from God, and it's for his glory because he is coming. Because he is coming. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. See, Jesus will indeed return again in his final coming. 
But from that beautiful day of Pentecost until that beautiful day when he comes, he comes continually by his spirit. He comes. He is coming and he comes. He comes as we gather in his name. He comes as we open up his word. He comes as we seek his face. He comes as he continues to seek and save the lost. He comes to his people. And he comes to all nations. He comes to call all men unto himself. He comes to encourage. He comes to correct. He comes to instruct. He comes to strengthen. He comes to rebuke. He comes to challenge. He comes to lead. And when he comes, he invites all tribes of the earth to come to him and bow down and weep and wail in repentance, in surrender, in forgiveness, in freedom, to weep and wail in receiving life everlasting. And as if this feast of an introduction needed a cherry on top, we get verse 8. P.S. I am the Alpha and Omega, says the Lord God. Who was and who is and who is to come, the Almighty. In other words, and this is why you can trust it. <laughs> Hallelujah. My, uh, my grandfather used to fly uh, prop planes, little planes with the propellers. And he, growing up, would take us on flight sometimes around where he lived, and he had been doing it. I remember growing up, he had, he had, by the time I was growing up, he had been doing this for decades, but still every single time that we got to the plane and before we flew, he would go through this extensive pre-flight checklist. He'd walk around and check the wings and the tires and check the fuel and all this stuff. He did the same thing every single time. And after he walked around the exterior, he'd get inside and he would, he would read it out loud and I'd have the little headphones on, you know? So it's like, you know, it sounds like that. And so once we got inside, he would start going through this whole thing inside, this sequence of switches and knobs and dials and buttons. And of course, I would like have to sit on my hands because I'm like, oh, so shiny. <laughs> And only after completing this extensive checklist, each and every time would he start the engines so that we could head towards the runway and take off. Revelation 1, 1 through 8, like that we just read, is like our pre-flight checklist. And now it's time to take off. Now it's time to take off. But the launch that we're about to get, don't be thinking prop plane at the Metropolitan Airport. This is way more like NASA spaceship, shake the earth, stand a couple dozen miles back and watch the fire come. Here it goes. Hold on tight. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance. See, he's saying, this is not about me. I'm with you. I'm with you in the hard stuff. I'm with you for this kingdom. I'm with you patiently enduring his kingdom to come that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God on the Lord's day. And I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book 
and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Can you picture this? John, widely believed to be the beloved disciple of John, who wrote the gospel of John, who left his father and boat all those decades ago by the side of the sea with his brother to follow this homeless man named Jesus, who was at the foot of the cross with Mary as Jesus breathed his last and received her as his own mother, who had served, who's been serving Jesus for decades after his ascension. I mean, Jesus has been gone for decades at this point. And John has been faithfully serving him, building the church, overseeing churches and entire cities, making disciples, taking the gospel to the nations. And now he has been outcast on an island called Patmos because of his diligent service to his Lord on account of the word of God. And here he is alone again, another day on Patmos, another day choosing to be faithful, another day deciding I can't go anywhere and I can't do much, but maybe I should pray. Another day putting into practice what he had heard from Jesus all those decades earlier and had penned for us in John 15, abide in me. Abide in me and you will bear much fruit. And so John is learning after all of this work, after all of this service, simply the fruitfulness of abiding once his ministry has been taken from him. And suddenly, like that day on Pentecost, Decades earlier, suddenly a sound. This time, not a sound of rushing wind, but a voice. A voice that somehow sounds like a mighty trumpet and yet carries some inkling of familiarity to it. I don't know about you, but I can feel the goosebumps on his arms. And I can feel the hair raising on the back of his neck as before he even turns, he hears, write what you see and send it to the seven churches. And it says he, I turned to see the voice. He had heard the voice, but now I must turn in, and I'm sure some combination of, of absolute terror and longing hope, he turns. And on turning aside, he begins to experience the revelation of Jesus Christ. And he sees seven golden lampstands and in the midst of these lampstands, one like a son of man. And he's clothed in a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. A few verses later, Jesus tells us that these lampstands that John sees, they represent the churches. They represent the church as a whole. And in the Old Testament, the, the temple priests, they would tend to the temple, and the temple was filled with lamps and lampstands. And John turns and he sees 
Jesus, revealing himself as our great high priest among the churches, walking among the church, moving among the church, tending to the church, leading the church, instructing the church, building the church. He sees Jesus not dressed in man-made garments like the high priests of the past, but clothed in his own very righteousness, clothed in his own glory, and he is present. And the hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. This connects back to a vision that the prophet Daniel had in Daniel chapter seven, where Daniel describes the ancient of days, which is to say the king of all kings, the almighty, the one who is above it all, the almighty God. And now Jesus in his white hair, the correlation is clear, highlighting Jesus wasn't just a good man. He is God and he is among us. And his eyes were like a flame of fire. He is the judge of all peoples and all nations. The only one righteous who can burn away all impurity. And his feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. Because he alone is the one who can stand on the bronze altar and stand in the fire of the altar of God in perfect purity and righteousness. And with these feet of burnished bronze, refined by fire, he now leads us in paths of righteousness for his own namesake. His voice was like the roar of many waters. In the midst of a world so full of white noise, his is the only voice that carries power, that carries authority, The same authority of a mighty wave crashing among the rocks. Pay attention here. In his hand, he held seven seven stars. Jesus tells us in a few more verses, this is a reference to the angels of the seven churches, which is to say not only is he among the churches, among the lampstands in all authority, but in his right hand, he, in, in his presence, he stands in authority in the church on earth. And in his right hand, he holds the authority of all the heavens. Because in the beginning, he is the God who created both the heavens and the earth. And all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto him. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. Because when he speaks, it, it, it cuts and it pierces and it divides, and it trims, and it prunes because he is the good gardener. And only in the light of his face that was like sun shining in full strength can we clearly see anything else. John sees the voice. Jesus begins to reveal himself, but he doesn't stop at just showing himself. Now he begins to describe himself. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. My dear friends, this is great news. This man, Jesus, revealing himself to you and to me and to all of humanity is the one sovereign over all of human history. 
He is sovereign over the beginning. He is sovereign over the end. And he is sovereign over all things in between. Can I tell you this morning that your greatest need is not to understand everything about life, not understand everything about death, not understand everything about heaven or hell or Hades or politics or COVID or gossip or drama or cryptocurrency or stock markets. The greatest need of your life is to get a revelation of Jesus Christ. He is the one over all of it. My dear friends, the book of Revelation is intense and it is complex, but it really can be summed up in one simple question that it presents to you and me this morning and it presents to you and me every time we pick it up and read any bit of it. And the question is simply this, who are you going to live for? Who are you going to live for? What Revelation is trying to tell you is that there is Jesus and everything and everyone else. And as we go into these letters over the next seven weeks, you are gonna be brought back to this question every single week. <laughs> Who are you going to live for? This is the question that Jesus is posing as he reveals himself to us. Will you turn aside? Will you turn aside from everything else and everyone else, and will you follow Jesus? Will you listen to him? Will you submit to him? Will you trust him? Will you follow him? Will you value him? Will you hold on to what he tells you to hold on to? And will you let go of what he tells you to let go of? Who are you gonna live for? I want you to stand as we close our time together this morning. We're gonna have our prayer team come on up like we do every week. And I'm gonna pray for us as we close and we spend one more uh, chunk of minutes worshiping together. And we're gonna sing a song that was written years and years ago. I don't know how old it is, but I'm realizing how old I am. So this song is pretty old since I've known it for a while. But it's just written out of this chunk of revelation. Because what we need, we need in this day, in this time, collectively and individually, what we need is the Spirit of God to come and, the, and, and give us a revelation of Jesus. And we need to decide each and every day, we need to decide in each and every situation, who are we going to live for? That is the primary, most important question that any of us could deal with in any situation. Boil it down, who are we gonna live for? So if you need prayer for anything in your life, we've got our prayer team available, you can come up. If you need prayer for something going on or you need a miracle or there's anything God's highlighting through his word to you this morning, don't leave without getting the prayer that you need today. But let's all worship. Let's all turn to see the voice. Let's all turn our eyes, our hearts, our minds, and our lives and say, Jesus, come show yourself. So Lord, we need a revelation of you and we invite you and we beg of you and ask of you that you would come, that you would come and show yourself and lead us in life everlasting. Come in the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.